Hello everyone and welcome to the Unanswered Questions True Crime Podcast. I have spent hours and hours investigating this. He basically told her that people have been killed. Journalists, independent investigators, people like that disappeared. It frightened her to the bone. There's more to the story than meets the eye. There were rumors of torture and homicide and sexual abuse, all sorts of egregious, horrendous crimes. He was polygraphed three times. Each of those three showed evasions. His resumes were a skeleton of truth. He was mad at the world, and particularly mad at the government. The study that he commissioned that described a fictional terrorist attack. If people have died over this, it means you're getting close to the truth. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say, what the fuck? Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we'll endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy and as always leave me some feedback on what you think about the show and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the death of Michael Nigg and Brett Cantor. Now Michael Nigg, born... April 28th of 1969 and died September 8th of 1995 was an aspiring actor who worked as a waiter at a Beverly Hills restaurant. He was shot and killed during an apparent robbery attempt in Hollywood. The Los Angeles Police Department later arrested three suspects but soon released them for lack of evidence. No other suspects have ever been identified and the killing remains unsolved. The case attracted some media coverage at the time because Nig had formerly worked at the Mezzaluna restaurant in Brentwood where he had befriended Ron Goldman almost 15 months earlier. Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson had been found slain at her home near the restaurant after he had gone there to return her mother's eyeglasses, which had been left behind at the Mezzaluna. Simpson's ex-husband, former football star OJ Simpson, had been charged with the murders and his highly publicised trial had reached closing arguments. Simpson, who has consistently professed his innocence in the Brown and Goldman killings, was acquitted of the murder charges almost a month after Nig's death. Alternative theories of the murders, supposedly shared by Simpson, have suggested that they were related to drug trafficking in the Los Angeles area, and that Nig's was as well. Nig apparently lived very well for a waiter, and there were some allegations he too had been involved in the drug trade while working at the Mezzaluna branch in Colorado before. Nig and Goldman, it's also been noted, were not the only waiters at Mezzaluna to be victims of criminal activity during the mid-1990s. Now we get into the background of this case. Nick was born in Gunnison, Colorado, where he grew up and attended Western State University. After graduating, he went to the Los Angeles area to try and start an acting or modeling career. He made an appearance on Liars, a syndicated television series. While seeking jobs and roles, he worked at restaurants waiting tables to support himself. By 1994, he was working at the Mezzaluna restaurant in Brentwood on the city's west side. Among his friends and co-workers there was Ron Goldman. Nig worked there until a month before June 1994 when Goldman was murdered along with Nicole Brown Simpson, former wife of football star OJ Simpson. As Simpson's trial for the killings progressed, Nig went to work at another restaurant, Sanctuary, located in Hollywood. Now we get into the crime and investigation of the crime. On the evening of the 8th of September 1995, Nick and his girlfriend Julie Long were on their way to another restaurant in his Mercedes. They stopped at a bank branch in Hollywood so Nick could withdraw some money from his account. Long stayed in the car parked in the branch lot while Nick went up to the ATM where he withdrew $40. 
As he did so, two men walked up to him and demanded money. When he refused, one of the men shot Ning in the head. Afterwards, both robbers walked away, departing in a waiting car. Long, who witnessed the entire incident, was not harmed. The killers did not appear to have taken anything despite their initial aims. The crime was reported promptly. The Los Angeles Police Department, LAPD, looked for the suspects over the weekend but found no leads. On the night after the killing, Nick's friends gathered in the parking lot for a candlelight vigil. Among them was actor Mickey Rourke, who spoke to television news crews that came to cover the event. Quote, if anyone knows anything about the shooting that took place, he said, just give the cops a call. End quote. Three months later, the LAPD arrested three suspects, including the alleged getaway driver. However, they were quickly released for lack of evidence. Rewards have been offered, and the killing was dramatized on a segment of America's Most Wanted. The case remains open and unsolved. Now we get to the possible connection to the O.J. Simpson murder case. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office prosecuted Simpson for the killings of Goldman and Simpson's ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, based on the theory that Simpson, who had a history of domestic violence with her, had acted in a fit of rage upon realizing that she was not going to return to him. Simpson, according to his lawyers, believed that the two had been killed over their involvement in drug dealing in the area, and that other murders at the time were carried out for that same reason. He speculated that Nicole had been planning to open a restaurant of her own using proceeds from cocaine sales. Mesa Luna Trattoria, where she ate her last meal and where both Nick and Goldman had worked, was reportedly a nexus for drug trafficking in Brentwood. Authors Donald Freed and Raymond Briggs claimed in Killing Time 1996, their book about the Simpson case, that an unnamed source had told them that while Nick had lived in Colorado, he was known to law enforcement there to be involved in the narcotics culture in Aspen, where another branch of Mesaluna is located, and Denver. According to journalist Joseph Bosco, who had a reserved seat at the entire trial, Nick lived beyond his apparent means, driving a Mercedes and living in a luxury condominium while ostensibly deriving most of his income from tables and occasional low-level acting jobs. Freed and Briggs, among others, have also observed that the circumstances of the killing seem to suggest the assailant's true intent was to kill Nick rather than rob him. Moreover, Nick and Goldman were not the only Mezzaluna waiters who have fallen victim to foul play around that time. Two others were missing, and a third had his car destroyed by fire in Corona del Mar in 1994. Now we get into Brett Cantor. Brett Ross Cantor, born November 5th of 1967 and died on July 30th of 1993, was an American record label executive, concert promoter, and nightclub owner. He was born in New York to Rhonda and Paul Cantor, who managed acts such as B.J. Thomas and Dionne Warwick. In the early 1970s, he and his family moved to the Los Angeles area. In the early 1990s, he served as an A&R executive for the Chrysalis Music Group. Sorry if I get that name wrong. Cantor left Chrysalis to work briefly as an agent and then a promoter, putting together some of the largest concert and dance events in the city at that time. He also entered the nightclub business, taking a 10% stake in Dragonfly, a club known at the time for its 1970s and hip-hop theme nights. At that time, he was involved romantically with actress Rose McGowan. Cantor was found dead in his Hollywood home on July 30th of 1993. He had been stabbed repeatedly in the upper body. No suspect has ever been identified and the investigation remains open. His death was a subject of renewed interest a year later when, during preliminary motions in the trial of O.J. Simpson for the killings of his former wife Nicole Brown Simpson and Nicole's friend Ron Goldman, 
Judge Lance Ito ruled that defense lawyers could have access to the investigatory file in the Cantor case. The defense had argued that the similarity of the three killings suggested that the same person or persons had committed them. It has also been argued in books on the case that Cantor knew Goldman and Nicole and thus may have been killed over mutual involvement in possibly illegal business activities. Now we get into Cantor's life. Cantor was born in New York in 1967. His father, Paul, a former William Morris agent who had moved into managing musicians like Diane Warwick and B.J. Thomas, moved the family to Los Angeles four years later. In his young adulthood, Brett followed his father and older brothers Cliff and Mark into the music industry. At Chrysler's Music Group, Cantor worked as an AR executive looking for artists to sign and develop. Cantor left Chrysler to work briefly at the Agency for the Performing Arts. He then formed his own company called Underground Entertainment, which promoted raves. Events Underground, organised at nightclubs like Petting Zoo, Sanitarium, After Hours and LA Palooza, were among the largest concert dance parties in Los Angeles during that time. When nightclub owner Steve Elsden converted one of his frolic rooms on Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood into a different club called Dragonfly, Cantor came in as his partner holding a 10% share in the business. Dragonfly soon became known among the city's clubgoers for its theme nights. Wednesday nights were part of a series called Superfly focusing on 1970s music, particularly disco, while Friday night's Riot featured hip-hop. The club was profitable for its owners. Cantor met actress Rose McGowan at the Dragonfly in the spring of 1993. They became romantically involved. In her 2018 autobiography, Brave, McGowan credits him with helping her escape an abusive relationship that had led her to develop an eating disorder. She considered him her soulmate. Now we get into his death. Early on the morning of July 30th of 1993, Cantor left another nightclub, Club 434. He's not known to have been seen alive after that. Later that day, his body was found at his Hollywood home, a short distance from Dragonfly. Cantor had been stabbed 23 times around the head and arms. His throat had been cut almost to the point of decapitation. Some accounts also report that he was given a Colombian necktie, his tongue pulled out through an incision in his lower jaw as well. The body was found near Cantor's open front door. The investigation was moved from the local precinct to the downtown headquarters of the Los Angeles Police Department, LAPD, where it continued. No suspect has ever been identified. Now we get into the aftermath. Elderson could not bring himself to enter Dragonfly after Cantor's death and sold his interest shortly afterwards. Quote, being there felt wrong, and it still does today. End quote. He told Los Angeles Magazine in 2012. Cliff Cantor took over his brother's share and ran the club afterwards. Now we get into the possible connection this case has to the O.J. Simpson murder case. Almost a year later, the bodies of Nicole Brown Simpson, former wife of American football player and actor O.J. Simpson and Ron Goldman, a waiter, were found dead with similar injuries at Brown's home in Brentwood. O.J. Simpson was arrested and charged with two counts of murder, but later acquitted at trial. In September 1994, Simpson's lawyers moved to have Judge Lancito allow them to review the LAPD's file on the Cantor homicide. Like Cantor, Nicole and Goldman had been stabbed predominantly in the upper body, their throats severely cut. Goldman's throat in particular had been cut by some Someone reaching from behind him, starting on the left side and moving upward to the right across the neck, similar to the wound on Cantor. According to the coroner, the killer of Nicole and Goldman had also used a long, thin blade, much like the one that had been used on Cantor. 
Ito granted the motion three weeks later, ruling that the material was discoverable under Brady, referring to the 1963 U.S. Supreme Court decision that requires prosecutors to turn over any potentially exculpatory evidence their investigations uncover to the defense. The Simpsons defense team also noted that the similarity of the killings themselves was not the only connection between the three murders. Goldman had once worked at Dragonfly as a waiter, where he was seen together with Cantor by other employees, and Nicole had often gone there with her friends to dance, raising the possibility that either or both were acquainted with Cantor. After the Simpson-Goldman murders, detectives questioned Steve Edlison about possible connections. Later, a tabloid ran a story suggesting that Edlison was behind all three slangs. He denied the claims, saying, The whole thing is ridiculous. At the time, there were some bad feelings in Hollywood about me. End quote. Simpson's defense, which admitted at the time it requested the files that it was not sure there was a connection, never brought the Cantor killing into evidence. Simpson was subsequently acquitted in October of 1995. After the trial, author Joseph Bosco followed up on the Cantor homicide in his book, A Problem of Evidence. He reported that the Cantor family had set up a tip hotline for information about Brett's death, but had it directed to them rather than to the LAPD, and only shared one tip they received, which did not produce any useful leads. Cantor's family has publicly dismissed any connection between Cantor's death and the Simpson case. Privately, Bosco wrote, the wife of Brett's other brother Matt told him she believed there was a connection between the cases. The LAPD detectives assigned to the Cantor case at the time Bosco inquired about it also denied any connection. Dallas-based author and private investigator William Deere likewise asserted in his 2014 book O.J. Simpson is Innocent and I Can Prove It that Cantor was a diversion by the Simpson defense to protect Simpson's son Jason. Bosco stated that Cantor was under investigation by the FBI for possible involvement in the drug trade at the time of his death and one of Jason's former girlfriends told Bosco that investigators found $130,000 in cash in a safe in Cantor's office after he was killed. To this day, Cantor's death remains unsolved and the investigation is ongoing. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions, it still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I've covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to have a look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time. Next on Unanswered Questions. The Sydney Gangland War, or simply known as the Gang Wars, were a series of murders and killings of several known criminal figures and their associates that took place in Sydney, Australia during the 1980s. 